Open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians. We give our musicians a break on Sunday night. We jump right into the Word. Ephesians chapter 3. This morning, we looked at the problem of gratitude. The problem of gratitude. And when a person does not acknowledge God, they cannot, uh, they do not have a channel for that gratitude, the gratitude for our Creator. I mentioned some of the things that had gone on at the Christian school, and I, I want to encourage some of you folks. You know, men like um, Chad Inman there at the school, he's the uh, athletic director, he's also pastor of, is it Faith Baptist that Chad pastors? That's a godly man, and um, he had to be overruled for that to happen. I wanted to say that, I wanted to make sure that you all knew that, because uh, he's a man of God, and uh, so you, it would be very good to encourage him, encourage his wife, some of the things that they were trying to do. Um, but this evening, I'm speaking on the subject of, I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for the church. So look at Ephesians chapter 3 with me. And look at what it says in verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We're Christians, right? That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. In the inner man. When a person is born again, that is, you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. Recognizing that you can't, you, you can't save yourself and God doesn't need your help to save you. That it's all of God. Salvation is all of him. And we'll talk about that more as we go through this text. But when you are born again, what happens is the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. The Bible says, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you do not have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you, then you are not born again. You are not a son of God. You are under the righteous condemnation of God. Not that you will be condemned, but the Bible says you're condemned already. Now, praise God, we don't have to be in that state. If you place your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life, then you are born again. When you're born again, Jesus Christ comes to dwell in you, and then you become a part of that family of God that's spoken of in verse 15. And then he will strengthen you by his Spirit in the inner man in verse 16. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Again, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved by faith. So when you all hear me going into something like this, what are you supposed to do? When, I'm, when you hear me going into something like this, what are you supposed to do? So here's the idea. We're praying. We're asking the Lord to speak to us through his word. And the Bible says, that verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. Not of works lest any man should boast. 
So Christ dwells in your heart by faith, not by works, not by baptism, not by giving money to the church. Tonight, we're in this text. We're going to look at how great the church is. But being in the church doesn't take anybody to heaven. I was preaching in Texas with, with my friend Dalton Robertson. And he said, there are more Baptists in Texas than will be in heaven. Being a Baptist doesn't take you to heaven. Amen? Being a Presbyterian doesn't take you to heaven. The, the, the name of the church doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you get to go to heaven. What, salvation is based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Paying for our sin. And then when he rose from the dead three days later. That's what accomplishes our salvation. And when we believe that and ask Jesus to save us, that's how we become born again. That's how Christ comes to dwell in us in faith. So by faith, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Oh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, look under the chair in front of you. There should be a Bible there. And we're at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints. So what is a saint? A saint is a person who has Christ dwelling in them. So look at me. I'm St. James. That's what you have to, you're going to have to refer to me that way from now on. Hello, St. James. No, anyway. Um, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by love, verse 18, and you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory, where? Those next three words, what's it say? In the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Now, so here, let's pray, and then uh, we'll dive into this. Lord, thank you so much for your word and the opportunity to teach it. Father, thank you for these faithful people who have come and have a desire to hear from your word. And Father, my opinions are, are, are not important. Your word is the bread of life. Your word is what we live by. So Father, help us to learn it tonight. Help it to have, a, have an effect on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So notice what it says in verse 21. Unto him, that's God the Father, be glory in the church by Jesus Christ, God the Son, Throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Now, we know that eventually this world is going to end. So what is this talking about? That when we have Christ dwelling in us by faith, then we are going to be with Christ, bringing glory to the Father as the church for all eternity. That's, isn't that amazing? That this, this age will end, but throughout all ages, world without end, amen, we are going to be with him forever. And so what God did was, look at what it says in verse 7. So he's talking about to, uh, verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So what does that mean? That the Jews and the Gentiles in Christ, in the church, we are one. There's no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile in the church. Verse 7, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So his power works and it's effectual. 
all right, that gave him the power to do it. Unto me, that's Paul, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. Now, what is grace? Grace, it's just another word for a gift. But it's a special kind of gift, and that's the gift of the Holy Spirit of God for salvation. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit of God for service, for work, for serving him. So, unto, verse 8, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Now, what mystery? The, this mystery of Jews and Gentiles as one in the body of Christ. Now, look at this. Which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So, this idea of the church... It didn't exist in the Old Testament. There wasn't any church in the Old Testament. The Old Testament never talks about the church. The Old Testament is about Israel and those nations, right? When Jesus Christ established the church, this was a new thing. This was a new thing. When he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and empowered the church, that was a new thing. That was the beginning of something. When the Apostle Peter was preaching the gospel to Cornelius and his Italian band, and then in the next chapter, that's chapter 10 of the book of Acts, and chapter 11 of the book of Acts, the, the other apostles are saying, what are you doing eating with Gentiles? Why are you preaching to Gentiles? And he said, the Holy, the Holy Ghost fell on them as he did on us at the beginning. At the beginning of what? At the beginning of the church. You can't have a church without the Holy Spirit because you can't have a church without saved people, born-again people. Jesus said you must be born again. And the church is made up of born-again people. Born-again people. Now, there are many churches that have people that are not born again. Those are not biblical churches. You must be born again. And baptism makes you a member of a church, but according to the book of Acts, you can't get baptized until you believe in Jesus. Remember, it's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch was, was reading in Isaiah 53 about Jesus Christ and that lamb that was, that was crucified and he suffered. And, and it says that, um, he, he asked the eunuch, he says, do you, understandest thou what thou readest? Do you understand what you're reading? And Philip said, how can I? except some man show me. And the Bible says, and he began at that scripture and preached unto him Jesus Christ. So he preached Jesus Christ from Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah chapter 53 is all about Jesus Christ being despised and rejected of men. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement was on him and by his stripes were healed. Praise God for that. And he preached Jesus and as they're going along, they see some water. And this, this leader from Ethiopia, this, this man that was sent on, a, on an errand from the queen who had come to Jerusalem and was worshiping while he was there, there's some water. And he says to Philip, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Why can't I be baptized in this water? And Philip said, if thou believest, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they both went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, Philip was actually removed from his sight, and the Ethiopian eunuch went back and preached the gospel to his people in Ethiopia. What an amazing thing that is. 
That is how you become a member of the church, is through baptism. Baptism is church membership. That's what it is. But according to the Bible, in Acts chapter 2, as many as received his word were baptized. So that's what the Bible says. As many as received his word were baptized. The Bible says in, in Acts chapter 2, uh, or in, in Mark chapter 16, it says, um, if you believe and are baptized, you'll be saved. But if you believe not, you're condemned. The baptism doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. In Acts chapter, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul is dealing with some of the problems in the church at Corinth. And he says to those people, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Some of you say I'm of Paul. Some of you say I'm of Apollos. Some of you say I'm of Peter. And he says, I thank God I didn't baptize you. Okay, I baptized Crispus and I baptized, I think, Stephanus. I baptized a couple of you, but, but that's it. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That means the baptism is not a part of the gospel. Baptism has its place. Baptism has to do with church membership. It's identification with doctrine and what that church teaches. But it has nothing to do with your eternal life. It has nothing to do with whether or not you can go to heaven. Because that is a work. And the Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. Amen? We're saved by mercy. We're saved by grace. We're saved by faith. And when we have that faith, then the Spirit of God comes to dwell in us. And that concept of the church, it was hid from the foundation of the world. Now, the Bible uses the word in our chapter, it uses the word mystery. Let's look at it again. It says in verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. A mystery is something that is true, but can't be known unless God reveals it. That's what the word mystery in the Bible means. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Why did he hide it, and why is it revealed now? To the intent that now, unto the principalities and powers in heaven. So what are the principalities and power? So um, in uh, when Daniel was praying, and God sent, I think it was, was it Gabriel that God sent to uh, to Daniel, I believe? And he was coming, he said, but... But I got, uh, I was hindered by who? Was it the prince of Persia? This is, this is a demonic being that was over that area and he's fighting with God's angel and God's angel overcame him and he came to give Daniel the message. Don't take my word for it. Read the book of Daniel. It's amazing that account that's there. That's a principality. That's a principality. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 28, um, there is the Prince of Tyre, the Prince of Tyre, and we find out that that Prince of Tyre is actually Lucifer. Crazy. When you, in that text, it's crazy. Those are principalities and powers. These are spiritual beings. This is not, these principalities and powers, this is not Congressman Jordan. This is not, you know, Nancy Pelosi. Praise God. Um, so, look at what it says, although I wish she would learn from this. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the what? How about that? We're teaching these angelic beings things. Might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, 
according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Access into what? Access into the grace of God. We can come boldly according to uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. We can come boldly to the throne of grace because we have access through Jesus Christ. He's our high priest. Isn't that a blessing? So what's so great about the church? In the Why am I thankful for the church? Because the church reveals the eternal mysteries of God to the world. How does he do that? By the way we live and by the way we teach other people what the Bible says. That is our job. That's what we are supposed to do. And if you look again in verse 17 or verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Why do we need that strength in the inner man? Why do we need that inner fortitude? Because as the world gets darker and darker, the job of the church is to be brighter and brighter. That's who we are supposed to be. When I called out the Christian school this morning about some of the, the decisions they were making, it, the, why, were, why are we doing that? Because there's a strong representation at the Christian school from Grace Baptist Church. That's my job. We're going to hold other Christian institutions accountable when they violate God's word. Amen? The other thing, that's why the local church is so important. See, we preach... I'll get back to what's so great about the church. We reveal the eternal purposes of God to the world. And what are those eternal purposes? That we would be one in Christ. How do we get one in Christ? By being baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ. How do we do that? By being born again. So the first message is not that the Christian school doesn't need to have a lesbian playing on the alumni basketball team. Okay, that's a message for in this room. Amen? We go out in the world, what do we tell the world? You must be born again. You must be born again. What do we tell Mr. Dre? Do right. Do right. We won't tolerate it. We're not going to put up with this. If you want this school to be like the world, you do not have a reason to exist. If it's a Christian school, how many of you think it ought to be Christian? How many think that God cares how Christians behave? All right? So if you don't want to be a Christian school, don't call it a Christian school. Then you would no longer have a reason to exist. See, what is the church supposed to do? We declare the eternal purposes of God. So in here we identify those things, how we are to live out there. The only message you need to preach out there is you must be born again. Amen? I don't think you got me. We care about this stuff, don't we? We care about morality. We care about right and wrong. We care about, about the, you know, God created them male and female. The, 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 the woman's given to the man and they leave father and mother and they cleave unto each other and they become one flesh. And we believe in one man and one woman for life. Amen? Not one man and one man. Not one woman and one woman. We believe in... Did I say it right? Okay. Whenever my son starts laughing at me, I think I messed it up really bad. So we believe that because that's God's plan. And we preach that out there as well. But that's not our primary message. Our primary message is you must be born again. You must be born again. And the best way to influence people that are behaving that way is for them to get born again. And then God will renew them. He'll make them new. He'll save them and change them. 
and they'll be strengthened in the inner man. And then look at verse 21 again. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ. The other thing that, uh, uh, really, I, I just have two points. The, the church is to reveal the eternal purposes of God to the world, even to principalities and powers. The other purpose of the church is to bring glory to the Father by Jesus Christ. We bring glory to Jesus Christ by fulfilling our mandate. Our mandate is go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our mandate. Our mandate is not to go in and conquer with weapons. Our mandate is not to go in and conquer politically. Our mandate is to go in and preach the gospel to as many people as we can. And after we do that, we teach them, and then we baptize them, and then we teach them to observe all things whatsoever he commanded. So why did Jesus say that? Because he said in Matthew chapter 28, he, he said, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore... And then he strengthens us with that power in the inner man here so that we can go and do that. And then we bring glory to him by the way we do it. So this is something that's really important. Of course, we believe in the autonomy of the local church. That's one of our Baptist distinctives. One of the things that makes a Baptist church different from other churches is that, the autonomy of the local church. So you you heard me commend Chad um, Inman a little while ago. He said, how many of you know Brother Chad? You know Pastor Chad? Okay. Is he a man of God? Amen. Amen. And we've prayed together. We've studied the Bible together. He's a wonderful brother. I have nothing to do with what goes on at Faith Baptist Church. Chad has nothing to do with what goes on at Grace Baptist Church. Why? We believe in the autonomy, the self-governing of the local church. Now, if we needed some help, they'd come help us. They need some help. We'll go help them. And I hope you know I was trying to help him a few minutes ago. Right? We're going to encourage him. That's the autonomy of the local church. There's no outside organization that is going to tell this church what to preach, what to do. The Bible is our sole authority. This, this is our authority. This is, this is what we go by. And then you hold me accountable. If I preach something that's not in here, you hold me accountable. You don't let me do that. I'm not allowed to go outside the bounds of this book. Right? So, because we believe in the autonomy of the local church, that's why we believe that something called a parachurch organization is problematic. What do I mean by parachurch? So, the Holy Spirit, the word comforter, is paraclete. And para, that's the one who comes alongside. That's, that's what the paraclete is, the one who comes alongside, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. A parachurch organization is an organization that based on that word, paraclete, they want to come alongside the local church and help the local church. So like the Christian Academy is a parachurch organization. All right? They're not under the authority of any local church. So now here's the problem. Who do we hold accountable? There's no one to hold accountable. There's no one to hold that leadership accountable. So if the Christian Academy were a ministry of Grace Baptist Church, then myself and the deacons, we would be setting the rules and we would be doing the hiring and firing. We would be setting the agenda, setting the, the helping with the curriculum, all of those things. So like West Coast Baptist College is under Lancaster Baptist Church. 
So there's not a whole group of churches that decide what they're going to do. And so that's why when the, if they teach something that's not right, or they used, remember they used a textbook that I didn't like a while back, and so I was able to call the pastor, I was able to call the dean of theology, and they got rid of the book, they changed it, and they, that teacher doesn't teach there anymore. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Do you see how a local church works? Now, did I have any authority in that place? No, but they listened to another pastor. And that's what we ought to do. We ought to work with each other and and cooperate, of course. The reason that these institutions have so much trouble is their, their structure isn't right. So here at Grace Baptist, here's our structure. And we have just come through... Our, our church constitution and, and rewriting and, and introducing a brand new church constitution. <clears throat> so we covered some of this. I just want to remind you how this works. So Jesus Christ is the head of the church, right? That's Colossians 1, chapter 18, that he would have preeminence in all things pertaining to the church. Jesus Christ is over it all. Under Jesus Christ is the pastor. And the pastor is accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's accountable to the word of God. And then the pastor is accountable to the people. And the way that that works is, according to 2 Timothy, if the preacher is doing something wrong, it says, against an elder, receive not an accusation, except in the presence of two or three witnesses. So two or three witnesses find out the pastor is not teaching something that's right or is behaving in an inappropriate way. Then two or three of the men come and talk to the pastor. If the pastor won't listen, they take it before the church, and the church can remove the pastor. Because the ultimate authority in the local church is not in the pastor, it's not in the congregation, it's in the Word of God, and it's up to us jointly to be in submission to the Word of God. That's the way this church works. And we have it written down in a church constitution, and the first thing that constitution says is the purpose of the church is to bring glory to God, and our only authority is the Word of God. We're not controlled by confessions. We have a statement of faith in the church constitution, but even in the church constitution it says, if anything in this statement of faith is contrary to the Word of God, the Word of God is the authority. That's who we are. The problem in these other Christian institutions is that's not the structure. That's not the structure. So you, the only reason that I'm doing this tonight is I wanted you to understand why I did what I did this morning. My job is to boldly, publicly hold them accountable and put spiritual pressure on them in that way. The only authority I have is the authority that this, that this pulpit gives me and the Bible. That's it. That's the only authority I have. And so we boldly proclaim that as a New Testament church And I happen to be the spokesman for Grace Baptist Church. Amen? And so we said it publicly, and I hope about 150 of you send that message, the link to that message, to the Christian school and to everyone in it. Amen? We're not ashamed. We're not scared. (laughs) But we're not punks either. If they do right, we'll be fine. Can can, can we look at, go to Genesis? Genesis? Chapter 4. Verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she, and she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. 
And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. And remember, the reason is that, that Cain was bringing the fruit of his hands, the fruit of his labor. And he, the, the sacrifice always had to be blood. It always had to be blood. And today, people bring the fruit of their hands. Hey, I've got my baptism. I've got my church membership. That's the fruit of your hands. The only thing that will save us is the blood of Jesus. Right? And so now, verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? <clears throat> so he was, he was upset. Why is thy countenance fallen? You can see it is all over his face. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. That's our message to the Christian school. If you do well, you'll be accepted. And if you don't, sin's lying at your door. Sin's there. And what happens when sin gets in? It destroys. Sin is a destroyer. Man, I hate what sin does in families. When I meet with families and there's sin in that, and I see the result of that, and we come and we try to, we try to clean up the mess as well as we can. Man, I just hate it. I hate what sin does. But I love what grace does. Amen? Are you glad you're born again? If you died today, are you 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? You might say, that's, a, that's kind of a non sequitur. How did we get there? Because we're ending the service. And all, everything that I said about the church is completely unimportant if you die and go to hell. Amen? I can't take you to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and we're all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many of you know you're a sinner? You know, and what we deserve then is death. And the Bible describes that death as the second death, and that's death in hell, the lake of fire. That's what we deserve. That's what I deserve. I don't want to go there. You know what the good news is? I'm not. I'm not. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I die, heaven is my home because Jesus Christ is my Savior. Isn't that wonderful? Somebody might say, well, you th that's a pretty arrogant that you think you know. No, because the Bible says, the Apostle Paul was talking about his suffering, and he says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. Unto him against that day. He keeps it. He keeps it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not temporary life. Not until you sin. Not until you commit some sin that you didn't confess to somebody. Jesus Christ is our Savior. If you get saved, you're saved forever. Isn't that good? So if you're not sure... If you're not sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. Let us take the Bible and show you how you can know. How many of you here know how to take someone to the word of God and show them how they can know 100% sure? Hold those hands up. Now hold them up for a minute. So if you're here and you're not sure about that, find one of these people. They'll take the Bible and show you or come and find me.